Many health systems around the world have implemented intensive home health care as an alternative to hospitalization. Yet, despite evidence that intensive treatment at home is associated with reduced costs and lower mortality than hospital care, there's been limited uptake of such programs in the United States. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Kevin Schulman, a professor of medicine at Duke University. Dr. Schulman has co-authored a perspective article on the hospital-at-home model and its prospects in the United States. Dr. Schulman, in your article, you mentioned a few countries where intensive home health care services are becoming a standard alternative to hospitalization, among them the United Kingdom, France, Australia. So how have those health systems been able to adapt this model? In each of these systems, the government's responsible for the total cost of care. So from the public perspective, it doesn't make a difference if the patient's in the hospital or if they're at home. They actually bear the full economic burden or the full economic benefit of the hospital-at-home program. So in places where intensive home health care is common, how is triage managed and how much choice do patients have in deciding where they get treatment? So I think this is interesting. A lot of times this is used as an adjunct to patients in the emergency room who are evaluated for care and then are offered things like, do you want to go to the hospital or would you like to enroll in our hospital home program? So the triage is with a clinician assessing the acuity of the illness. One of the things they look for is to make sure that patients aren't going to need or aren't likely to need things like ICU care, aren't likely to need emergent procedures, and then they're eligible for a program like this. So in fact, in your article, you talk about certain clinical conditions that appear to be amenable to treatment at home, heart failure, exacerbations, pneumonia, some types of infection. What makes those conditions good candidates for treatment outside the standard hospital setting? You know, I think the criteria for whether or not a person's a good candidate for one of these programs really is clinical acuity. They definitely need services. They need clinical services. They need infusion services, home oxygen, medication. They need the supervision of of trained medical professionals, but they are not likely to progress acutely to need something like an ICU. And so in those circumstances, there's no question they need acute medical intervention, but the site of care really is the thing that's being changed. Analysis of some of these home health care programs suggests that they're associated not only with reduced costs and improved patient satisfaction, which is not really surprising, but also with lower mortality. So what explains improved outcomes? One of the secrets of these programs is actually to find physicians who are comfortable with the care of patients with acute illness and then actually designing a model where they have enough time to really spend with the patient. So the intensity of the physician services, especially in some of these models, is very high. Physicians would run a panel of just a few patients a day, actually less than they would run on an inpatient service. And so there's a lot more time to intervene with the patient, to make sure you're addressing underlying conditions, to make sure there's a plan of coordination in place for the patient after they're discharged from the hospital home program. All of these things together, the time and the opportunity to really intervene holistically on the patient are things that can lead to better health outcomes. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services has proposed alternative payment models that in fact favor innovations like intensive home health services. If CMS is doing it, what's preventing other payers from exploring this approach? One of the issues that, as you read through the literature, that complicates the hospital home program in the United States is generally these are hospital-based programs. And so the hospital has to invest in setting up these programs to keep patients out of the hospital. And so at the most basic level, this is a challenge. The other 
piece that's a challenge is the workforce. Who are these people that are really going to be trained to use all this high-tech technology in the home, to use remote monitoring, to be able to coordinate and communicate with these allied health professionals and care teams, to be able to do all this remotely? This is a workforce that we really need to develop if we want to expand the scale of these programs. Given all of that, are there certain areas of the country, are there certain patient populations that would be a good place to start? You know, what we've seen is uh, Medicare Advantage programs where basically health plans are capitated tend to be much more interested in these types of programs because, as you said, they have seen to reduce cost. Presbyterian Health System in New Mexico is one that's profiled very widely. We've already talked about Kaiser and the VA. They both have large programs. So there's huge opportunities for changing the payment model and then developing this type of alternative care program. I should also say, you know, a lot of this originated with Johns Hopkins and the wonderful work there of Bruce Leff. Finally, how do you envision the future of intensive home health care in the United States? Is this a model that's going to become the norm in this country? I think this is the beginning. When you look through this literature and we see hospital to home as an alternative for patients who are seen in the emergency room, and then think about these concepts of, again, the acuity of the patient and the acuity of the physicians or the work life of the physician matched to each other for things like post-op care, for alternatives to lots of different things that we're doing right now in the hospital that don't require bricks and mortar infrastructure, but require us to reconceptualize workflows of doctors and of nurses. And then basically, we have this wonderful new technology available to us that we're not exploiting, where we can do communication with cell phones, where we don't need to have two patients down the hall as a means of communicating. So I think this is really the beginning. Where these programs have been implemented, they're very rigorous, very structured. They've been evaluated multiple different times, as you suggested. But as you think about this as an expanding model, to my mind, our hope or my hope or my vision for healthcare in 2025 is that half of the services that each of us receive will be delivered digitally. And so I think this is the beginning of a trajectory that we're going to see over time. Thank you, Dr. Shulman.